Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Originally from Argentina, Professor Julia Resnick works in the area of comparative education. Julia's researched a lot of different things, but today we're concentrating on our many different projects around the International Baccalaureate, a school program now offered across 50 countries and touted by many commentators as an international education success story. But how is the IB being taken up in practice? Is the program living up to its original intentions? What does something like the IB tell us about the internationalization of education? Julia is the ideal person to give us a crash course in all things IB. So I started off by asking her to give me some basic definitions. For the uninitiated, how would she describe the International Baccalaureate? IB is an international program. It's part of the international organization, international baccalaureate organization that offers three different programs for primary education, middle school, and uh, high school, and for student age 16 to 18. And this is the DP, diploma program. And the most popular and the most uh, important, the one I, I did research on, okay? It's uh, the DP, the diploma program, is an university entrance qualification to a large number of universities and to top university in the United Kingdom, in the United States. And uh, the mission, according to the, uh, the site, is to develop inquiring, knowledgeable and caring young people who help to create a better and more peaceful world through intercultural understanding and respect. It, it looks very nice. <laughs> yeah, it looks very nice. It sounds very utopian, very idealistic. So, I mean, where do these ideas and values come from? I mean, th- this was set up as a non-profit foundation? Okay. This organization started in the, sec- in the 60s in international schools. And there were two reasons for founding this type of program. One was pragmatic and one was idealistic. The pragmatic one was the increasing number of mobile families in the world because mainly um, the creation of uh, international organizations like the United Nations, uh, uh, the World Bank, and there were a lot of new mobile families turning around uh, in the world. And also the development of uh, international corporations that was new and developed especially after uh, World War II. And then those families, they needed some practical response to their moving. Then with the diploma program, you can uh, move from country to country, from school to school, and with following the same program. And that's that's the pragmatic, without equivalences. So a qualification for the global middle classes? Yes, it started very elitist like a really very elite program, okay? But then the second one, the idealistic, the idea was that knowing the other through, uh, through learning a second language, uh, a different culture, knowing the other, it can, in a way, 
Uh, we can prepare the next generation to avoid wars. It sounds very <laughs> naive today, but we have to think that after Second World War, it was like uh, the Zeitgeist. And the IBO itself, it's a non-profit organization. Where's it coming from? Where, where are its ideological roots? There were uh, teachers in this international school that all, they existed already in the 50s, in the 40s, and especially in Switzerland. And uh, there were mostly teachers and uh, practitioners and some uh, scholars in education from the United Kingdom. Right? And they tried to unify, to link between programs in uh, France Germany uh, and in United Kingdom. So from these small-scale idealistic origins, I mean, the IB's grown to be a huge multi-million dollar business. I mean, how did the IB develop over the past 60 years? I mean, how, how has it been taken up? Uh, for instance, in the 60s, the 70s, until the uh, 80s, last century, there were really um, 40, 70 IB schools in all the world, okay? And then, then we see a big shift in numbers uh, beginning in uh, the mid-80s. Uh, and today we have more than 5,000, 5, almost 6,000 uh, schools in the world in 160 countries uh, with around almost 2 million of students, okay? It's huge. And what started as a very small practitioner-led uh, enterprise then became something really huge. Uh, it's still non-profit, but uh, <laughs> many salaries are paid with uh, uh, the student fees, the school fees. Yes, yes, it's always good to follow the money. So, I mean, within the field of comparative education, there are lots of different scholars looking at the IB, but you've done a range of different projects on this. And I wanted to go through these projects one by one, just to tease out some of the kinds of insights that you've gained um, around the IB. So first off is your work looking at the incorporation of the IB into public high schools in Canada and the US. I mean, what, what were the key insights that you take from these particular case studies? In the United States and in Canada, uh, what, we, what we understand is that the middle classes fled the education system, the, the state system, okay? Yes. And then the IB, the diploma program, was like a way to attract them again, you know, because it was, uh, it was a sign of distinction, okay? And also, in Canada, um, the number of, of students in general dropped then, and there was a very, 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 very strong competition to attract students, especially good students, you know? And you attract them um, by a distinguished program such as the IB. And then in the state, in the States, was different. It, mainly it was in inner schools, inner city schools, you know, with a big majority of black Americans. And in order to change this uh, uh, condition of these schools, they say, oh, we will bring the IB, we will attract middle-class people, mostly white people, and then it will change the result of the school. So, I mean, that sounds logical, but I mean, in terms of the idealistic origins of the IB, this sounds a million miles away from what the originators were thinking of. So, I mean, are, are we to conclude that the IB is fatally flawed? The program per se, the diploma program per se, it's very good. 
really. Multiculturalism, critical thinking, theory of knowledge, that's wonderful. Mm. But it would be very good if all the students in the world can have access to that. The problem is that given the situation of education systems, the constraint, economic constraint, and all the new public management, the idea that schools have to compete for students, that produce the effect of elitism. It's not the problem of the IB per se, but all the conditions around. Yeah, yeah. Like many things in education, you need to pay attention to the context within which policies are taken up. And so you talk about the divisive nature of the IB. I mean, has this led to any kind of pushback or resistance within particular countries? I mean, it sounds like quite a political imposition on schools and on teachers. Okay. Here we have to understand the history of the different countries. And for instance, in Argentina and Chile, the teacher unions are very, very strong. And the, in Argentina, they boycott the, the IB in uh, state schools. And that is very well known in, in uh, elite schools, uh, private schools. But in state schools, they, they boycott it. This, this, they say that it's for privileged children. And they are right, because at the end, we have to, to, to be aware that the, this program is very ex, uh, expensive. Why? What, there are reasons. It's not expensive because they are doing a lot of money. It's expensive because the IB teacher training is very expensive because uh, the examination of the student is external, because uh, the school has to pay fees and yearly fees to the organization. Uh, for each exam, students have to pay. Then it's really expensive. Mm. And that's why it's a, uh, it is provided for a really small part of the student in the school or in the district or in the country. You know, you cannot uh, provide this uh, uh, costly program to all the population. Then it becomes a very an elitist program for privileged students. I mean, from what you're saying, then, it becomes more of a political issue in countries outside of the US and UK. So, so I was interested, actually, in your work across Spanish-speaking countries. You've mentioned before about Chile and Argentina, but you've also looked at Spain and Ecuador and the way that the IB has been taken up there. So, I mean, how does the development of the IB compare between those different countries? I mean, are there differences between Argentina, Chile, Ecuador? The case of Ecuador was really very, very interesting. And also, it's important to understand the political conditions. It was at the time of Correa. He did a lot for poor people and the introduction of the IB to state, to, to state schools was part of his big project, uh, revolution, really, because as we know, Ecuador is, used to be a very, very poor country and his education system really very, very bad. And then it was a big revolution, but the government signed contracts with the IBO, okay? And um, then the idea was to open a school in every district, every province, and they have done that, okay? And uh, it was supported with many, many difficulties. It was really for poor children because the idea was to educate an elite from the people. Mm. 
And that's very nice, very democratic. And, that, and really it was in very poor schools. But this also produced other problems with the teacher. You, you have seen because there were so many new schools opening and there are not so many teachers, English speakers, that there are English speakers. And they, it was very difficult to get so many teachers for all the uh, new schools. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but despite these workforce issues, the IB has been a much more socially focused program in Ecuador. I mean, is Ecuador unique in taking up these more, this more social justice approach to implementing the IB? And for instance, the same thing was in Costa Rica, is in Costa Rica. It's running and very successful. Also, it's distributed all over the, the provinces in Costa Rica and it's run uh, by the government. And instead of the competition that you can see in Ecuador, the perspective of the, lo- the Costa Rican uh, authorities were, was different. They try to organize activities between IB teachers and non-IB teachers in order you know, to diffuse the know-how of the IB that they, uh, they know that is very valued and uh, in, important, but they wanted to diffuse it to all the students in, in the country. And then the same teachers, they taught also in regular programs, but also they were... They, they initiated some uh, activities with teachers from, uh, from both programs. So you've got all these different enactments of the same program. You've got these egalitarian enactments in Costa Rica. You've got white flights and competition in the US. But as a, as a comparative education scholar, this is a fascinating case study. I mean, so as a whole, how do you look at the IB? Is it something that we should be broadly welcoming into the education landscape, you know, encouraging a, its take-up and improvement, or... Actually, is it something that we need to be wary of in terms of uh, its divisive nature, perhaps even something that we should be arguing against? Uh, as I said before, I think the programme per se is very good, OK? But the condition of the education system and the place of the education in the global economy and that we look at the education as human capital, that we educate people in order to provide a workforce for our economy, that's a problem, not the program. It's really a good program to educate young, the young students. But the question is this environment, and I don't think that it, it will change in the short term. <laughs> so an idealistic initial policy initiative, but shaped by the realities of the context that it's been implemented in, yeah. Oh, it's a, Julia, thanks ever so much for taking the time. It's been fascinating to hear you talk about this and to get a sense about how these things are being taken up around the world. Thanks ever so much for taking the time. Thank you very much.